Welcome to this week's edition of Honestly Speaking with Tara, where telling the truth at a time of universal deceit is a revolutionary act. So it's been an interesting couple of of days since the last time we got together. The Mueller report is still a thing. And um, there's just been more and more lies and bullshit and propaganda coming out of this White House surrounding what the actual Mueller report says. But um, there are many of us out here who are trying to make sure that we continue to set it straight, set the record straight, first of all, and not let these people get away with the lies and the BS. The president of the United States has been running around saying a lot of crazy shit the last couple days because he's shook by the fact that he wasn't really exonerated. And more and more people are coming out, starting to break through a little bit, that the obstruction of justice part of it was pretty significant. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, about Trump and some of the things that he's been tweeting, which are just completely outrageous. But this week's program is going to be a little bit of a change of pace. Um, I'm going to talk a little about politics and give my thoughts on Joe Biden now getting in the race, which many of you know that I've been hoping for this day. I'm going to talk about my feelings about Biden in a bit, too. But my guest this week is not going to be political. I've been waiting for several weeks because we've been in the throes of the whole Mueller stuff. And I've been waiting several weeks to be able to do to play the interview with actress Yvette Nicole Brown. And I thought that this week would be a good reprieve, kind of a balance of of politics and pop culture, because Yvette, even though she's been in lots of different television shows and she's been in movies and um, you'd recognize her probably from the show Community. She was on that show for several years and um, she's also been on um, she was on that show, The Mayor, that was on ABC for a while. But she also had a cameo in Avengers Endgame. And I'm a huge Marvel fan. And apparently lots of people around the world are too, since Avengers had a $1.2 billion opening weekend, shattered all the records. My husband and I were super psyched to go. Bought the tickets three weeks before the movie came out. I actually went to the physical movie theater to get the tickets. Like it was serious business. Marvel is a serious business in our household. So um, I thought this would be a good week to kind of just things have been so heavy and just politically depressing that I was like, you know, we need to lighten it up a little bit on my show. So I'll talk a little politics. And then this week's um, interview is with Yvette Nicole Brown. She's hysterical. She's a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoy my interview with her as well. So let's see. White House correspondence. Let's sort of talk a little light first. White House correspondence dinner weekend was just this last weekend. And for those of us in Washington, we used to look forward to it because it used to be really glitzy and glamorous. It was like Hollywood meets D.C. once a year. Well, Trump has killed that vibe. It's no more that glamorous Hollywood celebrities come and hang out with the journalists and people from the administration and all that. It's not like that anymore. It's kind of gone back to the straight and narrow of just honoring the First Amendment in journalism, which is wonderful. And in this climate, we need that. We definitely need that. But Trump has kind of killed it a little bit. Um, and, but it's still fun for, for those of us that are in politics and in the media to get together and kind of celebrate ourselves and the first, and the first amendment, um, and, and journalism 
in uh, around the world and their scholarships awarded the dinner and things and this year they had no entertainment usually they have a comedian I have not been a fan of the comedians in the past the last few years the comedians have been awful in my opinion so this year they forewent any any kind of um, formal entertainment and they had historian Ron Chernow give the keynote and I have to be honest he was quite funny he, he had a lot of historical references, which were good. And he added in some really quick witted, um, uh, just funny stuff. And I, I was it was refreshing. I was pleasantly surprised. So maybe this is the beginning of bringing the, the White House Correspondents Dinner back. And um, it was uh, I enjoy, I enjoyed watching it. I did not go to the dinner this year, but I did go to other Correspondents Day events. And one of them that I go to every year is the Garden Brunch which takes place on um, at the estate of Cat, well, former estate now. She doesn't own it anymore. The Graham family doesn't own it, but of Catherine Graham of the Washington Post. And if anybody saw the Oscar-nominated movie, The Post, Meryl Streep played her. And The Post is about the Pentagon Papers. And Tom Hanks played Bill Bradley, who was the the um, storied editor of the Washington Post for decades. And uh, it's a great movie. And um, so it's really neat to go to the Garden Brunch every year. And they monitor, they um, honor military families. And this year, Jay Leno was there. He was one of the presenters. And he gave a um, Purple Heart recipient, female soldier, a brand new car. And they honored a... Um, a lieutenant general, uh, an African-American woman. There are not many of those. She's a three-star general. Good for her. So it was a nice, it was a nice event. And a bunch of my friends are there. I posted some pictures on Twitter and Instagram. So that was fun. Oh, so I heard that Kellyanne Conway was at the event. I did not see her, which I'm kind of glad. I've talked about this in the past that Kellyanne and I were friends for many years and we lived down the road from each other when I lived in Jersey. I have not spoken to her since the election. I just can't. I can't. I'm terribly disappointed in her, and I don't recognize the person she is now. I adore her husband. I can't take her. So I'm glad I didn't see her, because I don't know. It would have been an awkward, an awkward encounter. Another awkward encounter, Rudy Giuliani was there, and so was Deputy Attorney General General Rod Rosenstein. Yes. And um, by the time I saw them, I'd had a couple mimosas. I was a couple mimosas in. And I just felt that it was not appropriate for me to say anything to them as much as I wanted to. It just probably would not have been a good scene. So I kept it to myself. But yeah, um, Rosenstein was there with his 16-year-old daughter. I think she's 16. Her, his daughter and his wife and... You know, it's kind of a happy event. So I just didn't, I just, there's just so many things I wanted to say to him. Like, dude, really? Like you are, you're, you're, you sold everybody out just to save your own ass. We're at one point, we thought you were doing the right thing for the country. Maybe he justifies it by doing the right thing for the country. But standing up there with Barr, knowing that this president is full of shit and a liar and certainly obstructed justice. I mean, wasn't Rod Rosenstein the guy that the reports were he wanted to wear a wire and was talking about the 25th Amendment after the, the Comey firing? What a 180 degree turn. How'd it go from that to standing there behind bar? 
agreeing with him, just looking like a hostage, like a Chris Christie. Yeah, ugh. And then Giuliani, I don't even, that speaks for itself. He's completely off his rocker. And he looked terrible, by the way. He really did. He had an aide or someone helping, helping him around. And I don't know, another one. Just think at this point during the 2008 election cycle, Rudy Giuliani was leading the pack. He was the front runner at this point of the 2008 cycle. And he ended up dropping out relatively early once voting started and John McCain became our nominee. Hard to imagine that that today's Rudy Giuliani was that guy 11 years ago. I don't know what happened to him. I really don't. He's a lunatic now. So, and then on Sunday, that was Saturday, and then Sunday, my mom and I went to the CNN political hangover brunch. It's kind of one of the final events of the of the weekend, and that was a lot of fun. All our CNN, a bunch of our CNN colleagues get together and and um, eat, drink, and be merry. And I get to, my mom hangs out with me, so that was cool. Uh, Don Lemon and everybody, you know, some of the New York folks were down here in D.C., and, and uh, Don, my mom loves Don, and he's so nice, so... And his fiance was there and showing off their rings. We have a cool picture of us uh, with that too, showing all of our, our rings. <laughs> so anyway, so that uh, that was over the weekend. And then on a not so nice note, we had another attack over the weekend, right? The synagogue shooting in San Diego, which was awful. Um, I'm just sick of people trying to say that, that there's not a rise in white supremacy going on. Clearly there is, you know? I'm just praying for, for, for those folks and the people who were injured and the woman who lost her life trying to protect the rabbi. It's just, um, you know, and then, uh, and then uh, today, ABC and, and others were reporting that uh, a plot, major terrorist plot in Southern California was thwarted. Thankfully, the intrepid dedication of our federal law enforcement officers they were able to thwart this plot. Another U.S. Army veteran, unfortunately, another act of potential domestic terrorism was thwarted. Thank God for them. And you know that when I when I see that, it just pisses me off even more when I hear Donald Trump in his rants against the Mueller report and the FBI and our intelligence community because they rightfully have been telling us, yes, Russia interfered with our damn elections. Donald Trump actually in the last couple days, I think it was in an interview, called the leadership of the FBI scum. Scum? (laughs) He doesn't even talk that way about our enemies. So Kim Jong-un he's in love with, a guy who's starving millions of his own people in forced labor camps and who sadistically murders his political enemies. He's in love with that guy. But uh, our FBI agents and, and our intelligence community, because they, what, were doing their jobs in the counterintelligence investigation because Russia was interfering, they're scum. They're dirty cops. Bob Mueller, a war hero, and a, a dedicated public servant who's given his entire life to serving this country. He's a dirty cop. He's a bad guy. What? Unbelievable. And it's so infuriating. How dare Donald Trump speak that way he's just such a piece of work and he's a sick he's sick something wrong with him and there's people just clapping like seals behind him yeah really holy cow man that green bay rally another loony lunatic 
like I'm starting to run out of adjectives. I mean, he's completely out of control, running around, telling you he was on Hannity, talking about there was a coup, an attempted coup to throw to to, to overthrow our government. What? This is dangerous propaganda, man. Dangerous rhetoric. It really is. And then what happens? Joe Biden finally announces on Thursday and he puts out a video, his announcement video. And what does he mention in the announcement video? Charlottesville. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, even for Republicans, Charlottesville was a turning point. It was a pivot point and a low point in this country. And certainly one of the lowest points of Trump's presidency, without a doubt. And Joe Biden reminded us of that moment and said that basically we are fighting for the soul of our nation. And he is 100% right. 100% right. And Donald Trump fell right into Joe Biden's trap and started tweeting away, attacking Joe Biden and doubling down, tripling down on his Charlottesville response. Remember, there's very fine people on both sides. Yeah, that no one wants to relive that, especially not Donald Trump people, especially not his supporters, especially not the Republicans. They don't want to relive that. They don't want to remind people about Donald Trump playing footsie with white supremacists and that ilk. I was on CNN. I was on Jake Tapper's show. We were talking about this again. And I said that I said, look, and Jake made a good point kind of stole my thunder a little bit on it, but it was, this, but we're all, we all share this point. Did Donald Trump actually condemn white supremacists that day? He actually did in a much longer convoluted statement. That's true. However, it was an unequivocal. He was beaten around the bush. This was like the fourth time he had to come out and make a statement on Charlottesville because he screwed it up before. And this whole thing about fine people, he claims he was talking about people who were supporting the Robert E. Lee memorials, that they didn't want them taken down. Well, where the fuck were these people? Where were these very fine people? Because I've got news for you. If you were the only people that had a permit, which Trump also brings up in that statement, if you remember, oh, they had a permit. Well, the only people who had a permit that day that I'm aware of were the were the Nazis. Okay, we're the neo-Nazi white supremacist bastards. They're the only ones. The unite the right, Richard Spencer and those people. Where were the let's save the Robert E. Lee monument people with their permit? These quote fine people. They're phantoms. They're made up in Donald Trump's mind. Maybe there were one or two. Maybe there were five. Maybe there were ten. But if these were fine people, then what the fuck were they doing marching alongside Nazis? What? How come they haven't come forward and said, hey, we were there because we wanted to protect our monuments, not because we agreed with these neo-Nazis. We, we condemn them. They're horrible. I don't remember those folks allegedly coming forward. Do you? Because I certainly don't. But what I do remember is a woman, Heather Heyer, lost her life that day at the hands of a fucking neo-Nazi. So Donald Trump in his response, he claimed he responded to Charlottesville perfectly. No, he did not. No, he didn't. And people who were defending him, shame on them too, because they know good and hell damn well that his response was inadequate and it was shameful. That's why people like Gary Cohn and others were ready to resign over it. Do you remember John Kelly's face during that during the press conference that he gave, he was horrified, horrified. He wanted to crawl away. So 
Kellyanne Conway went on Jake Tapper's show, State of the Union, on Sunday and said that his she avoided answering directly whether his response was perfect or not. Jake Tapper pressed her, pressed her. But you know, she did her typical thing where she over talks and obnoxiously just keeps blah, 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 blah about stuff and not answering questions and diverting. And Jake did a good job trying to nail her down. And he finally got her to say, well, the response was damn near, uh, darn near perfect. Really? Please, Kellyanne, you know better than that. It was far from perfect. And it was a disaster. It was an effing disaster. So um, Trump can't help himself, though. He just cannot help himself. And we all know the reporting shows that he's scared of Joe Biden. He is fearful and he should be. He absolutely should be. Listen, I am a conservative Republican. However, I believe that the soul of our nation is at stake here. I believe there are bigger existential threats to our republic than just the, some differences on policies. I do. And I do believe that Joe Biden is a good person. He, he He's a family man. He loves this country. He understands how government works. And in this time, actually someone who has experience governing and experience in Washington who understands how the government works is what we need. Donald Trump has been a disaster. And he is stressing, putting stresses on our the basic fabric of our government and of our Constitution. And not in a good way. Not in a good way. People said they wanted an outsider because they wanted to shake things up. I don't think they wanted to break everything. Did they? And if they did, well, <laughs> that wasn't the answer either. Because Donald Trump isn't breaking anything to rebuild it in a good way. He's just leaving scorched political earth. And causing divisions in this country in ways we haven't seen in generations. None of that is a good thing. And I think that Joe Biden has the best chance to beat Donald Trump more so than any of those other candidates. I like Mayor Pete. I don't like anybody else. They're just too left wing for me. I can't do it. And none of them will win. Bernie Sanders, get the hell out of here. Even Chris Matthews, who was a liberal, said that if the Democrats screw around and make and, and, and nominate Bernie freaking Sanders, you can, you can hand over 45, 46 states to Donald Trump. And he's right. People who are, most of the country is still right of center. You know, it's the, the, the right of center, right of left. They're in the middle. Don't let Twitter fool you that the country is, you know, everybody's a bunch of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez fans. They're not. Maybe the Twitter folks are, but that is not most of the electorate. And most of the electorate, they're older and they're more reliable voters. And those are the people who like someone like Biden, who can't stand even Republicans who are, you know, the, the, let's say it's 12 percent of Republicans who can't take Donald Trump. Well, you know, Donald Trump only won by 77,000 votes in three states. And right now he's underwater in all three of those states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. And Joe Biden has the straight talk, middle class, legitimately middle class not like Donald Trump, who's a billionaire, classless billionaire, but a billionaire nonetheless who's never worked a hard, had a hard day's work in his life. Joe Biden actually has those credentials. He's from Scranton. He's never been wealthy, like, you know, not billionaire wealthy. And I know that he, 
I know that he uh, understands the moment that we're in. Now, his announcement video was was pretty good. He looks good. He looks spry. Trump running around talking about <laughs> he's a uh, he's a young man and he's he's uh, whatever stupid shit Trump said <laughs> because he's 72 and, and Biden's 76. Well, I've got news for you. Joe Biden's in better shape and looks better than Donald Trump does. And he's got plenty of energy. And he's done this before. He's made mistakes. And I do not agree with everything Biden says or believes when it comes to policy. Obviously, he's a Democrat. We have different ideas of how to solve the world's problems. However, I'm at a point where his message, which he he had a rally in Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh, where he got the endorsement of the International Association of Firefighters, which is a big endorsement. And I know that that is going to drive Donald Trump crazy because those are supposedly his people, you know, and Biden's focusing on the unions. And Pennsylvania is a really, really important state. No presidential candidate has ever won the presidency without winning Pennsylvania. I think no Democrat has ever won without winning Pennsylvania, just like no Republicans ever won without winning Ohio. So crucial. And Donald Trump only won Pennsylvania by 0.72% of the vote. It was 44,000 votes out of 6 million. Very close. So Biden gave a rally in front of union supporters in Pittsburgh, and he talked all about the middle class. Smart move. Now, he talked about some, you know, $15 minimum wage and all that, which I don't agree with, but whatever. It's These are not deal breakers at this point. We can argue that later on in Congress. The president can't change the, the uh, federal minimum wage. That that's Congress has to approve that. So, you know, these little like policy minutia things that we may disagree on that the president doesn't have uni- unilateral um, ability to change it anyway. So that's not important to me. But foreign policy is important. Bringing respectability back to this country is important. And I think that. Biden is the best chance, has the best chance of doing that. He said something during the rally in Pittsburgh where he talked about his dad, which I thought was interesting because he brought up his father a couple of times. And we all know that Donald Trump's dad, a lot of his, well, his dad was a bastard and dishonest and a horrible person. And that's a lot of the source of of Trump's uh, problems. You know, he's um, trying to please his daddy. And, and, and Biden brought up his father and, and some lessons that his father taught him. And one of the things he said, you know, he said, my dad, he was a, he was a, a gentle and decent man. Now, I know, I don't know if that was Biden just being honest about his father or that was purposeful to show the contrast between his upbringing and Trump's. And but I thought that was interesting. I caught that. I don't know how many other people did, but I did. Um, but he made he made the point of of three reasons why he's running. And one of the reasons he said that it was to restore the soul of the nation, restore the middle class and unite the country. And I think that's right. Restore, rebuild and and unite were three things that was a theme throughout his entire um his video about uh his the reasons why he was deciding to run and i was glad really glad to hear that because i think that resonates it's a winning winning message and that kind of winning message is positive it was positive and that's something that's missing from our politics today is a positive message. And I think Joe Biden will have the ability to do that. So I, um, you know, I'm rooting for him. 
which is weird, obviously, for me as a Republican, it's just weird, but um, but necessary. I just think that it's necessary. He talked about the, the dignity, you know, dignity of work, dignity of hard work, and, and that being middle class is more than just a, a wage number, but it's a culture. Again, I think that's a winning message. Now, I don't like the the idea of what $15 minimum wage and, you know, uh, freebies with college and all that. But like I said, these aren't deal breakers for me at this point. They are not. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. You know, Biden was a little rusty. He was rushed a little bit in his delivery of the speech, but, you know, he's rusty. He hasn't been on the campaign trail in, I don't know, six years so he'll get it he'll get it he come he loves it he thrives off this and and um i think this is going to be interesting to see trump's reaction as the week goes by he he's already trying to call joe joe biden sleepy joe believe me joe biden is not a sleepy guy okay so that nickname's not going to stick. Maybe he'll go back to creepy, Joe. Let me say something else about that before I um, get into the switch gears and get into the interview with, with Yvette, with actress Yvette Nicole Brown. But, you know, Joe Biden, and for years even I was guilty of this, people would make fun of him for being a little handsy. And, you know, look, he, he there is an article that was written, uh, I think it was in Politico back in January, that I encourage everyone to go back and read. I think I'm going to repost it on, my, on the Twitter feed, on the Honestly Speaking Twitter feed. It talks about Joe Biden as being a consoler in chief because of the loss that he's experienced in his life. I mean, he lost his wife and young daughter, his 13-month-old daughter, in a horrible car accident back in the 70s. And he talks about how that grief was so overwhelming for him that he almost, he wanted to, he he wanted to end his life, but he had two sons, young sons that survived it and that he had just won his Senate race. And that's what kept him going because he said, no, 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 you know, what would I have? What would I tell them? Why? You know, I can't do that. And he actually was sworn in at 29 years old in his first Senate term. He was sworn in in the hospital room of his son. And that's the same son, Bo Biden, who ended up dying 43 years later of a very aggressive brain cancer. And the death of, of Bo was um, horrible for Joe Biden. It was very devastating. And that's mainly the reason why he didn't run in 2016. Because I think if he had run and he'd been the nominee over Hillary, that he would have beaten Donald Trump. Just Republicans were so, they just hated Hillary so much. And a lot of Democrats weren't feeling her either. And they held their nose and gave Donald Trump a chance. That would not have happened if it had been Joe Biden. I'm convinced of that. So anyway, but going back and reading that article, people really need to understand that Joe Biden is just trying, he's, he's kind of like, he sees himself, I think, as like a, as a comforter, you know, like a grandpa. And this idea that he was smelling women's hair and all that, count these women, they were Bernie supporters. That was a total hit job. Okay. And the picture that went viral of his hands on the wife of Ash Carter, who was the, uh, he was sworn in as, as uh, secretary of defense under uh, Obama Biden 
Her name is Stephanie Carter. She came out and said that that photograph was a complete misrepresentation of what happened that day. And that she was actually quite comforted by Donald, uh, by Joe Biden because she had fallen on ice earlier that day and she was nervous and she was really kind of out of sorts. And he knew that and he was just trying to let her know everything was going to be okay. And she appreciated it. But it was a photograph taken at an awkward moment that made it look like it was something that it wasn't. So people need to stop it. Okay, they need to stop this trying to make Joe Biden out to be like some kind of pervert. No, he's not. And compared to Donald Trump, who bragged about grabbing women by their pussies, for God's sakes. Okay, this guy, now Donald Trump is a pervert. He's inappropriate. Does Joe Biden have anybody suing him or accusing him of, of sexual assault? No. No, he does not. Donald Trump does, though. It does, has anybody accused Joe Biden of paying off mistresses, screwing around while his wife was pregnant and afterward? No, because I know people who are close to the Bidens and he is madly in love with Jill, Dr. Biden. And believe me, there you're not going to hear of any rumors of that. Not that I'm aware of. I don't I, I don't think if, if you do, I'd be I'd be shocked. But he's not a, a philanderer. He's not a serial philanderer. He actually respects his wife and his family. So those are my thoughts on that. I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that Democrats don't stab themselves in the foot. And this is going to be an interesting primary. And I think it's going to be a generational one, too. I get the left wants some, you know, new green deal nonsense and all that. And <laughs> that's not going to that's not a winning message, people. Sorry. You have to wait a little longer before the country becomes a little more socialist. <laughs> Don't be mad at me, my lefty friends. I know, I know. But we are we are not on the same side with some of those policies, but we are on the same side about getting Trump out of there. And if you want Trump out, it's not going to be through impeachment. It will be at the ballot box. And Joe Biden is the best bet. In my opinion. My show, my opinion. I'm just being honest. So on that, um, I want to switch gears and lighten things up and uh, bring in my interview with Yvette Nicole Brown. The interview was done a couple of weeks ago, but um, she's still a lot of fun. She, if you don't follow her on Twitter, you should. Um, she's at YNB. That's YNB. And she is the clapback queen. People, you may not agree with her, but her... Her responses to criticism and everything, and some people, they try to come for her. Woo, she's fierce. (laughs) You don't want to get on the wrong side of her. Um, But uh, she's a lot of fun. And like I said, you've probably seen her in the show Community. She had a starring role in that, a regular occurring role for many years. She's also been in, um, she's been in shows like The The Office, which is one of my favorite shows. So she talks about her experience with Steve Carell. Um, she was also on Curb Your Enthusiasm years ago. And I love Larry David. So she talks about her experiences with them, which are very interesting. She t- tells good stories about that. And um, this was before... Uh, Avengers came out and she had to be tight lipped about everything because everything was held close to the vest about Avengers. So I didn't get a chance to ask her about the cameo in that, but she wouldn't have talked about it anyway. And I, and I'm not going to be a spoiler for people who haven't seen it yet, but she plays a part that's important to the storyline where you see her. So if I say what role she plays, then it gives it away. But let's just say it has to do with Captain America and Tony Stark. 
that's it. <laughs> that's all I can say. It's an elevator scene. Um, so um, stay tuned uh, for Yvette Nicole Brown. She is up next. On this week's edition of Honestly Speaking, I wanted to switch things up a little bit. And, you know, everything that I do is always so political heavy. And I just thought that, you know, we need some levity in our lives. And what better person than Yvette Nicole Brown? She is an actress. She's a voice actor. She's been in lots of comedies. You've seen her all over your television in different programs from sitcoms on ABC and CBS. And she's made guest appearances on funny shows like The Office. Office and Curb Enthusiasm, one of my favorite shows. Um, and uh, you can just catch her on your TV and in films. And I have her as my guest today to lighten things up and have a great conversation. So welcome, Yvette Nicole Brown. Thank you, sis. I'm honored to be here. So um, I was really thrilled when I saw one day that you followed me on Twitter. And I think that you responded to something, I don't know, something I said on CNN during some kind of foolishness that Trump was doing. And I was like, oh my goodness, Yvette Nicole Brown follows me. And then I started following you and it's been a treat ever since. And I felt so horrible when I was out at Politicon and we walked right (laughs) past each other and I didn't even realize it was you until I was like going up the escalator and I was like, oh no, there she is. And I felt awful since. So I'm so happy to have you on so we can finally have a nice conversation and chat. <laughs> yes. And don't feel bad about that. Like that, it was like everybody was in that hallway. We all were rushing around and I'm such a fan of yours. I kind of played it like a groupie when you went by. Oh, I was like, oh my God, it's her. Like I barely said your name. So you wouldn't have even known that I was like, hey girl, hey. So it was, it was more on me. So don't feel crazy about it. Oh my goodness. And that, and it's still kind of, it's hard for me to, to even believe that there are people that are fat fangirl over me. Because I'm like, I'm just out here. I'm just a girl from Jersey out here telling the truth. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know what's so funny? I'm the same. I think that's why we're kindred, because I'm just a kid from East Cleveland telling the truth. What right. I love about you, and we're going to turn this into a love fest about you. Oh. Um, you're you're, <laughs> Thank you're you. smart, you're principled, you're honest, you tell it like it is. And I think the reason I started following, if I remember the day, you put somebody in their place, but good. But it was respectful. <laughs> you didn't, you know, you didn't call anybody out their name. You weren't wilding out. It was just, no, no, this is what it is. Right. And I love that. Like, I respect that. And I know we on different sides and a lot of policy stuff, but but the kindred is that's that's real. That's real. I feel you, sis. I feel I, you. I appreciate that. And 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 that's something I think that people should realize that, you know, it, it's a good example that even as divided as this country is on a lot of things, there are certain things that just bind people together. And I think the right. idea of being honest, being 100 um, and and. <sighs> just rallying around the idea of being good and decent people and, and right. just trying to trying to beat back this assault on the truth and facts yeah. is and something that we like, can all agree on, you know? Right. And I hate that, that politics have become a blood sport. Because right. Honestly, if, if, when you get down to it, we just have different ideas about how government should spend their money. Right. Republican right. or Democrat. At the basis of it, some people think that you should have this. Other people are like, I don't know if I want to do that. But it's not you're a horrible person or I hate you. It's become that for some reason. That breaks my heart. But it's really like, well, I think we should do it this way. And someone else is like, I kind of think we should. 
should do it this way. Right. That's how it used. That's right. That's how it used to be. When I got into politics 25 years ago, that's what it was. I mean, we used to have really heated arguments, but it was over like the pros and cons of Social Security privatization. You know what I'm saying? It it wasn't like you can't come to my house for Thanksgiving dinner or don't bring your husband because they support so and so and you can't have a conversation. This is it's it's insane. And for me, as someone who's been in politics for so long and I've seen this kind of really ugly transition, I'm horrified by what's going on. So I feel a responsibility to do my part to try to course correct this and just really um, just be I never thought that honesty would be such a commodity. You know, I was just Ah. a joke that I'm from Jersey. I can't help it. Uh, You know, that's just how we are. I don't know how to be any other way. Um, But that it's it's that so many people stop me and say how much they appreciate the fact that I'm just honest and fair that I said, well, all right, I guess, God, I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. So I'm glad it's brought me to you. (laughs) I, I feel the same. And I also feel like the more that those of us that are supposed to be on the other side of the fence on these issues, the more we show that we're friends, the more it, it encourages other people to be like, well, I ain't got to be so hateful. Right. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. I can build a bridge. Right. It's not that hard. It's really not. It's not. And it's funny. I think about, um, cause I, I love movies and, and my husband and I, we were movie buffs. We go to movies constantly. And since I was a kid, I've always loved movies. So I always think when, when people who I never thought that I'd be good friends with that are on the other side of the aisle, like Paul Begala or, um, you know, or the fact that, um, you know, people who work for Nancy Pelosi, like these were my political (laughs) enemies, you know, we're all buddies now, you know? And, and I think of that line from Ghostbusters when Bill Murray says, it's the end of the world, dogs and cats getting along, you know, I'm like, that's what it's like. (laughs) That's what it's like, you know, dogs and cats getting along together. Yeah. Anyway. So tell me, um, simple girl from East Cleveland. How did a simple girl from East Cleveland end up being a working black actress in Hollywood? I still can't believe it, first of all. But, um, (laughs) you know, I started out as a singer. I I had a record deal when I was uh, 18. I was signed by Michael Bivens to the East Coast family, which is he had like a vanity label at at a Motown called Biv 10. Right. And so I kind of always thought that I would be a singer. Like that was my dream. And so after I finished college, I was like, well, let me move out to L.A. and like really pursue it. And, you know, I'm kind of a PG girl. I don't know if people know that about me. I'm like on the borderline of Prudy McCrude at all times. (laughs) And so when I by the time I came out here after college, everybody was singing about sex and everybody was half naked in their videos. And, you know, I believe in being fully clothed and I right. like to think about a, a, a gentle kind of love. So <laughs> it just didn't work out for me. And I, I thought, well, let me see what else I can use my gifts for and started doing commercials. That went well. And then it, it rolled into um, doing sitcoms and little bit parts in movies. And I just kept saying yes, which is what I've learned is the the secret to success in any endeavor. You just keep saying yes. And then mm-hmm. you look up and you got 20 years doing something that you actually enjoy, you know? So that's basically how it happened it's all a fluke <laughs> that sometimes I'm not, trained. I'm not trained it's all a fluke right right so you didn't go to you didn't go to Juilliard or Yale no. school for the arts like you know they some... would not have had me I'm sure they would not have had me so no I did not <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness um 
so was there ever a point though when you were out there because I've you know you hear the stories about I slept in my car and I dug ditches and cleaned toilets mm-hmm. like did you ever have that experience out in, in Hollywood like that Hollywood experience where you were eating oodles and noodles and and begging you know praying that your phone would ring for a job did you ever have that experience 100 percent yeah I don't actually know I don't know any like independently wealthy people or really connected people that became actors most of the actors I know have that story I came out here with two rolling duffel bags and a place to stay for three days Mm. my first four or five months I slept on the love seat of a friend of mine's mother and I was in a, a single apartment with her her sister her sister's daughter and her son so it was like five adults in a tiny little like 700 square foot apartment. I didn't have a car for my first two years. So I was always riding the bus or walking everywhere I went. Which is rough Um, in LA, by the way, for people who don't know LA, LA is not New York where the subway takes you everywhere. LA, if you don't have a car, bless your heart with that one. And this predates, uh, where we like everything's automated. We got apps and stuff for everything now. Like even when I go to New York now, there's apps for the subway, like where to walk and how to get. They didn't have any of that. Right. We were still in Thomas Guy territory back oh. then, and it was still figure it out as you go. And I, I was there was one point in in time where I was so poor that I was anorexic based on circle on financials, not mm. because I didn't want to eat. I didn't have any money to buy food, and so I lost all this weight, and I was. Um, renting a room in a house and my roommate at the time, I tell this story all the time and I, I will see if I can say it this time without crying because I cry every time. But my roommate Gigi was a nurse and she, one day I come home from um, my temp job and like there's all this food on the counter and I'm talking about like brand made, you know, like like mm-hmm. one, like like real oral wheat bread, like, right. you know, <laughs> real stuff. And I go in now mouth watering because I haven't eaten <laughs> in days. Oh my and goodness. I go into my roommate's room and I go, uh, Gigi, you forgot to put your food away. And she said, no, that I bought all that for you that's your food she had gone Hmm. and bought everything she knew i loved and she said please don't ever go hungry in this house again but that's the struggle yes yes it's not her job to feed me it's my mother's job to feed me nobody told me to come to la and chase this little dream Mm -hmm. so i was going to suffer and and struggle until i made it but my my god god bless Gigi. she was like nah not on my watch you know, and so from then on, she would she would subsidize and buy me some stuff. But I had been living on one dinner roll, um, instant mashed potatoes that you make with water. I would do a, one cup of that, um, one cup of water, and then I would put a dash of A1. A1 was the pizzazz. Oh. A1, it tastes like a steak. Wow. And I would eat that one time a day. Wow. That, you That's know. That's all I had money for. When, when I, stories like that are just so real and it's important Mm -hmm. for people to hear them because kids today they think that Hollywood and entertainment industry is just so glamorous and everyone you know they watch Real Housewives and these reality shows with these people driving their little Bentleys and everything else and meanwhile Mm -hmm. you know there were a lot of folks that did not have a pot to piss in that earned and scratched and and, you know bled their way to Mm -hmm. making some money and getting where they are and and that still happens you still have to work for it just because you might get a little internet shine on instagram or something you know quick 15 minutes of fame that doesn't that doesn't last 
And when the people right. like you that really worked for it and earned it, you guys appreciate it the most. And some of 100%. the best actors out there have stories like that to, to inspire kids that look, if you want that dream, it may not be easy, but you can still get it. And don't be deterred by the fact that you might run into some obstacles. So I'm, I'm thank you right. for sharing that story. Cause some people might be embarrassed or something like that, you know, and, and no, there's no embarrassment in struggle. No. And also I think it's good to, to, to let people know that this is, this is the American dream. Correct. Whatever you're trying to do, part of it, anything you're going for that you really want, there is going to be sacrifice and struggle inherently a part of it. That's just what it is, you know? And it's so funny. I, uh, I know we're going to talk about, uh, Twitter and trolling and all that later. Yeah, but, we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a mo there's, there's in there when I'm dealing with a troll, there's almost always a time when they try to attack me in, in the financial space. In other words, they'll say, well, you know, I wonder if ABC knows that you feel this way and I'm going to at ABC or at whatever show I'm working on. And I always say, you can't threaten me with poverty. Right. <laughs> like I thrive in lack. Like right. I grew, I'm like that rose that came up through concrete. Are you kidding me? I have eaten nothing. Mm -hmm. I have slept on floors. I know how to do that. Yep. So if you yep. need me to not be woke or or principled or kind or whatever the heck you need me to be so that I have to prove myself to you in some way or you're going to take my job, take my job. Mm. I will rebuild it all again. Me and mm -hmm. Jesus will get right together and build it again. Can the church say amen? That's right. Let the church say amen. <laughs> Let him say That's amen. right. That's right. No, I, I love it. I love it. And, and you know, my, my husband has a really um, inspiring story too. And I tell it, I incorporate it into my keynote speeches oftentimes when I, I talk about um, never being a victim of your circumstance. And, you know, he, he's another one I... Um, you know, I, I tear up, I get emotional every time I tell his story in front of, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of people at a time, because it's a, it's a similar thing. It's like, you know, my husband was a tri he's a triplet and he, mm -hmm. his mother had five kids by the time she was 21 and oh my in, God. yes, in Brooklyn, New York, single mother, and she couldn't handle it all and ended up abandoning him, his triplet brothers oh and his younger brother. So the four of them, and they ended up in foster care in Brooklyn, New York, and then into an orphanage. Wow. And wow. yeah, and it's it's, and, you know, he tells a story about how he remembers being in an orphanage at five years old and a one of the social workers telling him that he didn't stand a chance, that he'd either be dead or in jail by the time he was 30. He wow. was five. You yeah. know, and then I explain yeah. what happened to him then and how he overcame those uh, those that that awful um, pronunciation on his life and yeah. was able to succeed and become a federal law enforcement officer by the time he was 30. Wow. So not, not only was he not dead or in jail, he was, you know, involved in some some pretty high level things in, in this country. Yeah. And, you know, good for him. Yeah. And so I, I always say you always every day you have the opportunity to to write your own destiny and, you know, be, live your own legacy. You don't have to be a victim mm -hmm. of your circumstance and yeah. people just need to hear that. So I, I, I knew we were kindred spirits in a lot of ways. Yeah. I knew, I see, yeah. I didn't even know that uh, about you and I knew yeah. you were from East Cleveland, but I didn't know that you had that experience and that just, yeah. you know, endears you to me even more because it, it's real, you know, that you're, you're yeah. a real person and people need to know that in, in the entertainment yeah. business is not everything is cracked up to be. You really have to earn your right to be there and your right to work because 100%. especially, especially, as a black female actress in Hollywood. Say let's it. let's talk that. about that. Let's talk about that. 
Now, um, you know, a couple years ago we had the Oscars so white and there was a little bit of a reckoning in Hollywood with the lack of diversity and high level uh, positions for writers and showrunners. And, um, you know, Chandra Rhymes and and Ava and some of those others when Tyler Perry were kind of, you know, they were on the scene and they were opening things up a bit, but for the, for the rank and file, for the actors like you, um, I think that it was still a bit of a struggle to work because I think you'd have to fight through the typecasts and dealing with writers writing, you know, kind of the same kind of characters and things like what, well, first of all, what was your first job, by the way, when, when you finally were like, I can eat now, <laughs> what was your first <laughs> job? And then what has been some of your experiences as you, cause you've worked in a lot of different things in all areas and you know what were some of your experiences dealing with with uh showrunners and writers well my first job ever professionally was um a play i did uh, a david talbert play called his woman his wife and we toured for eight months and that's when the bug bit me i then went and did a whole bunch of commercials and my first real real job after that was girlfriends i played tony child's um sister on girlfriends oh right i remember that show yeah, and that was my first sitcom experience. I was terrified. Um, <laughs> the perfect experience for me, though, because Tracy Ellis Ross and, and Jill Marie Jones and Mara Brockakil, who created the show, everyone on that show was just lovely. So, sorry, my dog is here, too. So if you hear some some uh, barking or whatever, it's him. That's all right. So that we love dogs. My, <laughs> we love dogs. So that was my first experience. Um, and as for showrunners uh, and writers, as my career has gone on, there aren't a lot of uh, black writers and black female showrunners. I mean, you have Mara Brockakiel and Yvette Lee Bowser, um, and there's more now, thank God. But back then when I started, there, there weren't a lot. And so there were even fewer uh, women of color in writers' rooms. Right. Uh, most of the shows, uh, there were there was never a black female writer in the writers' room of community. And I was on that show for five years. Right. Um there was never a black female writer on, in the room of the I couple. I was on that show for three years. Hmm. Um, there were a few on the um, in the room of, for the mayor, the show that only lasted one season. But right. Jeremy yeah. Bronson, our creator, yeah, our, our show creator, he had a mandate that the show would be diverse. So he had diversity in the makeup trailer, the hair trailer, um, in the writer's room on set. It, you really would have thought that the showrunner was, was a person of color. He had so many people of color on that set. So um, it's been it's been interesting. And I'm not saying that uh, someone who's not a black woman can't write for a black woman. I just feel like a black woman can write better for a black woman because it's they, they know it. Sure. I would never assume that I could fully uh, write about the experience of a straight white man or gay white man or any white man. I, I don't feel that I have the experience to know what it's like to walk in his shoes. So I would, if I was a showrunner and I had a lead that was a white man, I would hire a white man. Sure. Like, what, what's right. your day like, Bob? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just thought it was interesting. That, Why's his name got to be uh, Bob, Yvette? Yeah, you know but I didn't understand why they just didn't get a sit up in there to speak to the unique things that we experience, right. you know, but it is what it is. Uh, I know that if I'm ever blessed to executive produce a show, um, the cast and crew will reflect America. That is my goal. And that's and 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 I think that that's something that's more achievable. You know, when when we yeah. were talking about when you first started, that was what the nineties, right? Mid mid nineties. Right. Well, no, it's like two thousand like two thousand and three. Okay, yeah. okay. I look, yeah, I ain't that old. I'm, well, I'm no, no, no. I mean, I yeah. I know that you graduated college in the mid nineties, so I didn't know if you went straight from right. college, you know, into into acting. That's why. No, I, I actually was afraid. I was afraid to pursue acting for a really long time. Like I I was out here a good. 
five or six years before I ever even tried. Gotcha. So, so you started, so that was music until the, for the, all those years until you decided, all right, I'm going to go for it. You you know what's funny? It was actually more office work. Like I'm a, I'm a legal secretary by trade. So I was working at like MCA, MGM, Showtime. That was my last full-time job. I've, I used to do contracts for other performers. So you knew also, you knew how much money people were making and what to do and what not to do in those contracts. And that's something that a lot of people in this business, like I'm, I'm, I'm new to this mm-hmm. whole thing. You know, I'm a political person. Mm-hmm. TV yeah. didn't TV came to me actually. I had no dreams or plans on being on television arguing politics. I was a policy yeah. person. I loved being on Capitol Hill. I want to run for Congress one day. Like television was the last thing I thought, oh, mm-hmm. thank you. Television was the last thing I thought I was gonna do. So when it came time for me to like hire an agent and things, when contracts and and you know or things like that came up, I'm like, oh, this is, I don't know anything about this. And, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty on the ball, <laughs> but you yeah. need to have, you need to have people that can, that you trust and that yep. can tell, and, and you need to have control of what's going on with you. Cause if you sign the wrong contract, people can own you you can go broke you're gonna wonder where your money is just ask some people yeah. in the music industry so yeah it's, it's actually been i i you you know the movie the karate kid right Mr. Yeah, of Miyagi, wax yeah. on, wax off. Mm-hmm. um the original favorite, now the original i'm the over original, 42 original. not the one, one with jaden smith <laughs> no shade on Jayden. no that was the a good re- it was a good remake it was a right. good remake but there's nothing like the original yes. Right. So what I loved about it um, is is he was learning things without knowing he was learning it. And I I look at all of my career from college through walking on my first set is that like I while I was being a legal secretary and learning all the boilerplate, whatever, I actually was learning how to read my own contract. Mm -hmm. I redline my own contracts now. So when something comes in, I catch stuff that sometimes my agent didn't catch. I'd be like, yeah, that's an and or clause. If you leave that in, they're going to be able to take that that amount of money. And they're like, whoa, I didn't catch it. I'm like, listen, I used to do this. This Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a blessing to know that even when I was, you know, not in the industry yet and just dreaming of one day being whatever, that God was already preparing me for the time that was to come. And I think he does that for all of us if we pay attention. Uh, yes, pay attention. Something my grandfather, who was a police officer for 40 years, used to always, always, always mm-hmm. tell me, pay attention. And pay um, attention. I'm telling you, it because if you don't pay attention, somebody else will and you'll get left behind. You'll get taken. Yep. A lot happens when you don't pay attention in every aspect of your life. Um, what was it? What was it like when you were on? Because I know that you worked on some of my favorite shows. So I'm fascinated. And I, and I hope that like some of the people who you think you know them because, you know, you watch them on TV. I'm like, please let, don't let this person be an asshole. When you, <laughs> when you worked on The Office, did, yes. what was that experience like? Because that's one of my favorite shows. And then also Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is also one of my favorite shows in the whole world. I just absolutely uh, love Larry David. Please tell me everybody was cool. <laughs> everybody was cool. Great. Um, the, the, thing, the best thing about, um, I'll start with Curb Your Enthusiasm because that was literally one of the first things I ever did. <laughs> what was so great about it was, I don't know if it's, it's still like this now, but back in the day, Larry David had everyone stay in the same trailer all day. Oh. So I had just started out and I was in a trailer with Larry David, Jeff Garland, David <laughs> Schwimmer, and uh Katie Hoffman, who was a Broadway diva. Not diva in a bad way, diva in the you know, a right, fierce, yes. Broadway. And so we all were in this huge trailer, like I'm the only one that that doesn't have a pot to piss in and a window to throw it out out of all those people. <laughs> but um 
Larry, I think, did that because he wanted everybody to be loose and to know each other because the whole show is based on improv. And if you yes. don't feel comfortable, you don't you don't play. You know, um, the the funniest experience that happened on Caribbean Enthusiasm, because, again, it was like maybe the third thing I'd ever done. And I was terrified, <laughs> huge fan of the show and just terrified, never studied improv, all of that. We were in the back because it was a plane set. So we're in the back uh, on a plane, um, like a set with a plane on it. And this guy, I don't even know who he was. He was one of the crew members, comes up to me, goes, yeah, it's really interesting that you got this part because Larry usually picks stand-ups because he finds that actors don't have the ability to just kind of get in there and do well. But good Mm. luck to you. Mm. Oh, well, thanks for the encouragement. And they were like, and I was like, oh, but I love that because it literally taught me that you you can't let noise get in. Yes. Whatever you're doing, whatever your job is, whatever you're doing, you know where what God has placed in front of you. You know what you're supposed to do. And even going back to you with with television not being your dream or your goal, God had a plan for you, right? And yes. what's beautiful is that when the door opened, you were prepared. You yes. were you were ready for the moment. And so you could you the other thing about noise is it doesn't always come from other people. Sometimes we we give ourselves noise. If they had said it's time for you to come on set and, and be in front of the camera, you're like, well, I don't think I can do it. You could start talking yourself out of a blessing. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's so right. Noise has to be eradicated, no matter whether it's coming from inside you or outside of you. So that was the curve um, experience. I will say this. There is no greater joy than making Larry David laugh. It's not a, he's not a cheap laugher. He don't just laugh to laugh. Yes. So if he breaks in a scene, you literally have said or done something really funny. And so that was my goal. And when we got to the part where I said something that made him laugh, I'm like, it's Christmas morning. So he's awesome. Going And they all were. Going to um, the office, the episode I worked on, Steve Carell was so sick. He had, he had the flu. Oh. But he's such a trooper. He came to set anyway. And I really only had one scene with him in Staples. Most of my stuff was with Rain Wilson, who's a, an amazingly <laughs> funny and kind Hilarious. Man. Oh, he's so great. He played Dwight. So we, That's Dwight. Yes, he played Dwight. So we had the best time in that break room just trying to be as offensive and rude to each other as we could. Um, but we're both really nice people, so we would say something really horrible to each other and go, I'm really sorry about that. I hate this. What's in the script? So um, by the time we got to the giant head and beady little eyes, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to say this about Rain. He was like, do it. So yeah. it was it was a great experience, and Steve, even very sick, was lovely and welcoming. And um, you can always tell when it's a great set when when the the number one, the the lead, the star of the show, finds you to say hello to you because yes. they don't all do that. That's right, and they he don't and they don't have to. And that you're right, that speaks volumes. Yeah, yep. it does. And, and Larry David's the same. So I've I've been really blessed in my career to work with really kind people that are also really really talented. So well, yeah, I, those are great experiences. I'm thrilled to know that some of my favorite actors are worthy of my fandom um what my husband to this day we still say that's what she said even though the show's been over for years it's like the joke is like 15 years old now it doesn't matter it still applies and my husband this christmas bought me a poster that says (laughs) that's what she said on it with a picture of michael scott um like (laughs) like in the barack obama poster you know like that that style yeah Yeah. and it says that's what she said and i'm staring at it right now in my office so i you know what's so funny we love uh, all of us on the community set played that that's what she said game the entire oh how could you not it's Uh, in between anything any it's so it just 
is so rich and still good. Even yes. though it's an old joke, it works so well. It will. It, really does. it does. I'm yeah. telling you, it's going to be like who's on first. It's going to be funny 50 yeah, years 100%. from now. Um, I also noticed that you worked on Sleeper Cell, which is a show on Showtime that was about um, uh, uh, a terrorist cell that was infiltrated uh, in Las Ve- in Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. um, it was what, what year? What was that? Like two thousand six? Yeah, it was post nine I mean, eleven, right? Five. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was before nine eleven, I think it was two thousand and or post nine eleven. I think it was two thousand and five. Yeah, five or like five, maybe. I think you're yeah, right. Five or six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, that was uh, with Michael Ealy, who's from the DC area, yes, he was. and yes, he was. that was a really intense show that I think was very underrated. That was pre Homeland. Yes, I agree. And I played, it was one of the first dramas I did. I did that and I did, um, so there's a plane going overhead. I don't want, I don't know if you can hear that or not. That's all right. Um, that just means that you're outside in freaking warm, sunny Southern <laughs> California, damn it. <laughs> Rub it 100%. in, Nicole. Rub it in, Yvette. 100%. 100%. So um, I was playing a, a Muslim woman. I was leading a Muslim support group for mm-hmm. women that um, were either in, just entering um the religion or just struggling with what was going on in their lives. And um, I was nervous again because I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fool. I'm a, I'm a nut. I'm a comedy person. And, I, you know, I had to be really serious. And this is important, you know, role I'm playing. Um, and again, it all helps with who's on, on set. You know what I mean? Michael Ely is my friend to this day. Um, he's lovely. The set was lovely. And I think it's always important to do things that terrify you. Yeah. Drama, even to this day, I get a little nervous about drama. And I was like, well, they hired me. So apparently they believe that's I can right. Do it. All right. So I'm going to get in here and I'm going to do it. But yeah, I was terrified. But that was a, a great, a great experience. I still get um, residuals for Sleeper Cell. I just had a check the other day. Oh, see, look at that. That You know, cause mm. Sleeper Cell, I just, it, it's been coming on Showtime again, like at odd hours. And I would like to watch it again in its entirety now in the context of yeah. where we are now. Um, I yeah. appreciated it back then, but I think it would be even, it's like the movie, the siege with um, yeah. Denzel Washington, where, yeah. you know, it was written by Lawrence Wright. And that was 1999. That was pre nine 11 and about, yeah. you know, about declaring martial law in Brooklyn because there was a, a cell of, of Muslim terrorists um, in New York city and how we handle that and the struggle between the FBI and the CIA and yeah. the military. And it was really after, Propos for the civil rights and civil liberties discussion over the, over terrorism after 9-11. Yeah. So I watch that yeah. movie every time it comes on and it's 20 years old. And it's a, some, I think like Sleeper Cells, something else like that. Cause it, because Michael Ely's character, he played a, um, a Muslim undercover FBI agent that infiltrates right. the cell and kind of the, the, tension between his faith and his dedication to the country and his job right. and you know that whole thing so i think that show was underrated and i'm, I'm glad it's back on again and i need to I keep trying to record it so i can watch it over so i'm glad you're getting those yeah, residuals you know, they have it they got it on dvd it's out on dvd girl who series. has a dvd player where am you i what am i, <laughs> what am I, I playing it on my car my car had a dvd player and i didn't have one in the house <laughs> Wow. I know. Uh, uh, uh. That's funny. No, we might have one. My husband might have one somewhere, somewhere, because he likes electronics. Like Amazon, Amazon, I think, sells the whole. Like Prime? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what? Who? Who are some of your influences? Because you said, you know, that you weren't trained. So some people they come up, they're like, I saw Josephine Baker, and I said, mm-hmm. I have to be an actress. You know, was mm-hmm. there anyone like that who you saw and you were like, yeah, that's who I. That's who I want to be. Yeah, there were there are two actresses that I growing up I just freaking well actually three, but the uh, B Arthur, mm-hmm. uh, Felicia Rashad, and also Betty White. Those three just Betty White just because she's such a chameleon and she can be uh, uh, she's a nymphomaniac yes. on one show and then she's an innocent person from Saint Olaf in another one. Like <laughs> she just can be all things. I love Felicia and. Um, be Arthur because they have the ability to convey smartest person in the room, but you still love them. Mm-hmm. And they can do more with an eyebrow raise than others can do with the monologue. So yes, that's right. Those two in particular, I've always been like, I want to, if I ever have to play someone that's, that's on top of things, I want to be that type of on top of things. So those are the ones that I looked up to when I was a kid. And also Marla Gibbs, I actually have a career because of Marla Gibbs. And I really? this. Like most of what I do is just the Florence from the Jeffersons. Yeah. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, she's like a master class in how to comedic timing and just she, her timing is second to none. Yeah. Marley yeah. Gibbs is a national treasure. Even now, I just saw her on an episode of The Neighborhood with, with Cedric and she's she just is is it. She's it. And she was, she was she um, was two two seven right that was her too yes she was yeah two seven in Jefferson right that's right Jackie Harry like I right. could just start listing everybody that's ever you know Jackie Harry's like the I think she's the only woman to this day that's won um, the Emmy for best supporting actress uh, as a black woman I think she's still the only one what did she so win that's for crazy she won for two two seven she did. Wow. Mm-hmm. She sure did. That's that yeah. I, I, I never would have thought that. I mean, obviously yeah. I was I was a young kid. I used to watch two two seven and, and living in the DC area, you know, two two seven comes on now on I forget what net network, so it's kinda of funny to watch the old episodes yeah. and to watch Regina King start as, as yeah. Brenda and well, to watch maybe. her her um body of work over all these years. She's another hard working sister in Hollywood yeah. and I was really happy Thank to see her people. win good people too. Is she? Like, like the thing of, Oh my God, the thing about Regina, the reason I root for her the way I do is not just because she's a great actress and a great director. She's good people. And she, her son is good people. She's raising good people. Right. You know what I mean? She's just, good. She's everything. Like I, it, anything she ever does, I'm going to be the first one walking around with a sandwich board going, go with She's all of that. <laughs> well, she's she, all of that. now that she has that Oscar, she said she's going to, and a golden globe, right? She said that she's going yep. to work on, uh, diversity in her projects and make sure they're they're yeah. 50 50 so you better call yeah. her up because you, you, you're gonna end up working working with her the more thing, than though, she, she already she already got everybody in mind like she's one of those people you ain't even got to call regina she's right. like girl you come on come on work octavia spencer's the same way come on over we're gonna do something come on they That's, just they they are in now and they're 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 holding the door open and flooding as many people in behind them as they can and that's the way it's supposed to be the, yes and so, mm-hmm. so with so with that, let me ask you something. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Um, the mm-hmm. controversy with Monique. What are your thoughts on that? Since Monique seems to blame everybody else and doesn't think that she's done anything wrong in her blackball, you know, she blackball status in Hollywood. Did you have any thoughts on that? You know, I don't know that she doesn't think she's done anything wrong. That part I don't know. I don't know if that's the truth, but I don't know Monique well, but I do know her and. Anytime I've ever been around her, she is loving, inclusive, 
and celebratory of other people. And so when she says something like, I'm doing this for us, I know that she means that. And I know that she believes that. Now, there can be um, discrepancies as to the way she, if whether the way she's doing things is helpful to her and to others. Like, mm-hmm. that's something for people way smarter than me to debate. But I can only speak from my experience with her. And she is one of the first people that allowed me to be on a talk show. She had a talk show for on BET a few years back. And... Um, brought me brought me there flew me in let me do the show no one would let me be on their show and Monique let me come on her show and she was so excited about me and celebrated me and supported me and this is right after she had won the golden globe and she brought the golden globe out and not just so that I could see what a golden globe looks like she passed it around the audience Hmm. she was like I need y'all to understand that this is not this is for all of us this is this is something as a as a people that we can celebrate and know that tides are changing. And, you know, she really is that chick. And like I said, I don't know if her, her way of doing things is helpful to her and to other people. And again, that's for other people to figure out and decide, but I will never speak ill of her as a human being because I've known her to be very kind and, uh, and really caring to other people. And if you listen to what she says, and if you go back and listen through the years to what she says, she lives, she lives that love. You know, I'm praying that whatever is happening in her life or is happening in her career, that it can be rectified and fixed, because I also believe that she's one of the most talented people we have. And it's a shame that we don't get to see her anymore for whatever reason. Yeah. You know? So that's that's my take on it. I, I, I can't speak ill of the woman because I've right. met her and she was lovely. So, well, you know, well, I'm, that's, I'm sorry all this is happening. Well, that's it's good to hear it from uh, another side, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's there are people who are watching this who don't necessarily see the other side. They just see the mm-hmm. the 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 uglier side of this discussion. So mm-hmm. um, so I'm glad that you did have a personal experience that you could share yeah. um, to give a different perspective. So that that's yeah. good. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll we'll see what happens because it just yeah. You know, it it was also very sudden and intense. And then you know, I I just don't know if um if she can get out of it. I hope so. I mean, there's redemption for all kinds of folks. So yeah. And I just feel like everybody, you know, we're all figuring this out. You know, just I used to always hear parents say, you know, there's no no handbook for being a parent. There's no handbook for being a human. You know what I mean? Like right. literally whatever age you are, it's the first time you've ever been that age. You know what I mean? Like think about it. It's, yeah. We all are figuring this out every single day and and you learn what works and what doesn't work and, and what's helpful and what's not helpful by living. And then when you realize that the smart people, when they realize, oh, I really stepped in it there, there's an opportunity to to adjust and apologize and make amends and try again. You know, there's 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 always an opportunity for another day to do better if you really do believe and understand that you stepped in it. That's, That's right. The problem. That's like, right. Acknowledging it. You, yes. You've got to you in order to turn like repentance is not repentance if you don't ex- make the change and That's right. turn from it. That's right. Right. That's right. So, but it takes some people. You know, you got a got a car that don't turn real quick. They got they got to steer it around, and, <laughs> got, and they'll yeah. and they'll and that's their journey. Everybody's right. got a journey. That's we right. That's for sure. That so, is, that's for sure. Yeah. And 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 in your journey, you had um, at the time when you were on Community uh, for very successful sitcom for several seasons, you actually made a decision, a very tough personal decision to walk away from that. Um, talk about why. Um, I, my dad, uh, has dementia. He got diagnosed. Um, well, he didn't get diagnosed until I got him out here to take him to a doctor, but we noticed some things were going on in 2012 and community got 
canceled by NBC in 2012. And so as soon as we finished shooting, I got on a plane, went to Ohio, packed him up and moved him out here to live with me. Um, didn't even think about it. Just went and got him. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll figure it out when I get him here. So after I did that, Community then got picked up by Yahoo Screen and they still owned our contracts, which means they could compel me to have to work. Community was an amazing experience for me and I loved everybody I worked with, but it was also 16 hour days, you know, five days a week mm. for months out of the year. Yeah, I can't. My dad, when I first got him, was like in the crisis point of his disease and he wasn't medicated. He he didn't understand what was happening to him. And I could not leave him alone for 16 hours a day. So I, I asked, I, I, I petitioned Dan Harmon, our wonderful show, show creator and runner and Sony, who was our producer. I begged them you know, please, can you release me? And, and to their credit, they did. Um, I caught flack from fans because I guess um, they don't understand that family should be the most important thing in all, all right. of our lives. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they were very upset that I would have the nerve to leave a show that they loved. And I just was like, wow, um, you, you got the memo that I left for my dad, right? Like, you get that. <laughs> and then after that, maybe two months after I left, I got, um, asked to do a guest star role on The Odd Couple on CBS. And um, I was like, this is great because the hours are like 20 hours a week instead of 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. So it it was conducive to me being able to take care of my papa. And so then when the news broke that um, when I was released from Sony, um, CBS made me a series regular. And the same people that were upset about me leaving were then mad. Well, you can do The Odd Couple, huh? Oh. Like, oh my God, you guys, I said 20 hours versus, it was just wow. ridiculous. And that's wow. like my first, my first glimpse of what social media can be on the, on the horrible side. Mm-hmm. And it was my first time having to navigate negative foolishness from strangers. But again, with the wax on, wax off, Mr. Miyagi of it all, it trained me. Mm-hmm. I am now a ninja when yes. it comes to foolishness from strangers. And yes. I'm always respectful. Um, unless it's a racist. I don't I don't I'm not well, really kind yeah. of racist. But otherwise I don't call anybody out of their name ever. Um if they are dumb, I do tell them they're dumb and they they've proven it. The retweet will show <laughs> yeah. they're not very right. Um, but aside from that, I'm not cussing at people and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think it's important um, for people to learn. And if your mama didn't teach you, I will. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, what does Kevin Hart say? You're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. So learn today. Uh, before we talk about your, your, your Twitter ninja skills, um, how is your yeah. dad doing? He's doing great. He's well, doing great for someone with dementia. Uh, the best thing about my dad is that he's got a sense of humor. He's very easygoing. And I've often said that if anybody has to get dementia, he's the right one to get it because he just he's just an easygoing guy and he's accepted it. You know, we laugh like he'll say to me "Vet, did I tell you? And I go, yes. And we just <laughs> laugh because it'll be like the fifth time he told me something. And, right. you know, he'll and I'll say, well, daddy, you didn't remember to take your pills. He's like, I got dementia. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's just a delight. He literally is a delight. So it's been the the toughest thing I've ever done in my life, but it's also been the best thing I've ever done. And I am grateful to have him with me. It, it's been a joy. Well, God bless you for doing something so selfless. And mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, more, more people need to see that sometimes it's not always all about you. 
You know, that yeah. the entertainment business can be a very self-centered business. And when people demonstrate that they actually can be so selfless and compassionate yeah. and put somebody else's needs before their own, that's a foreign yeah. concept in the, in the entertainment world. So, um, thank you for being a, a, a bright light in that respect and, and God bless your dad and we'll be praying for him. Cause I know it's tough. It's a Please tough disease. Pray. It's a tough disease. Yeah. So yeah. Twitter talking about tough diseases. Twitter. Good Lord. Twitter Ooh, can be a good. sewer and it can be a, you know, it can be a, a theater of the absurd. It can be all those right. things, but we can't live without it. No, <laughs> you know, we can't live without can. it. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you recently, I mean, every day at the, you always have something going on on Twitter. That's why I enjoy your Twitter <laughs> feed. Um, you, you had, you started up most recently a conversation about the challenge of having black hair or makeup folks out there and in right. Hollywood. And even for me on, on this, you know, I'm on a much smaller level on television than what you do, but it's even been a struggle for me uh, where sometimes I'm like the people who I don't expect to be good at hair and makeup for people of color or my hair type, like I'm biracial. So my hair yeah. isn't nappy, but it's also yeah. not completely straight. It's in between. Right. So that's a challenge. People see my curly hair and they don't, they go, Oh my God, they don't know how to blow it out. And I'm like, look, right. all you need is a little water and a little little heat protector and my hair blows out so just calm right. down you know um so when i was reading your tweet your your twitter feed i was like i i can relate to this um the people who i don't expect to do well actually are do do you know do well and the people who should know better aren't as great as they should be so yeah. it's it's a struggle yeah. but it's it sparked an interesting um debate I was I didn't think yeah. it was going to go the way that it went. And you had to check some people about white privilege on there, too. Yeah. <laughs> and explain it. You know, what's funny. The one the one lady I, I someone took what I said to her as being rude. And I'm like, I wasn't being rude. I was thanking her. But then it was another another example of white privilege because white people can say whatever they want. And it's usually not construed as aggressive or angry or whatever. We right. can say, have a nice day. Why are you yelling? Right. You know what I mean? like, right. I why you got an attitude? Why you got, yeah. why you got an attitude? Y'all yeah. so angry. So it was it was that where where uh, Ashley, a white woman, came in and said, "Wow, I'd never, I never had to think about this. Like I'm, I would never think that you guys are going through this. I've never had to think about it. It must be my white privilege to have a life where I've never had to think about this ever." Yeah. And I wrote back, "Thank you, thank right. you, Ashley, because that is exactly what white privilege is. Um, I think white people hear white privilege and they think that we're saying." Every white person has a silver spoon in their mouth. We know that's not true. There's more white people on on public assistance than any other race. So mm -hmm. we know that that's not the case. Right. What it is is that you have the advantage of not having to think about a lot of things that people of color must think about every day. You can go into a store and not worry if people think you're going to steal. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can go to set and take nothing but your bare face and know that you're going to come out looking like Charlize, Charlize Theron. <laughs> we can't do that. <laughs> so it's just understanding that other people have an experience that you don't have. And it's only sinister when you use your privilege to oppress others. Right. If you're not using it to, to, to step on anybody's neck, right. it's not bad. Exactly. If you don't know, you don't know. And, you know, my, my, yeah. mo my mom is white. And but yeah. my mom is like, my mom is cool. Like, we joke because yeah. I couldn't step touch until I was 13. And she used to be like, you are not my child. And, you know, my mom was a dancer. She was in show business very young. Yeah. And so and so she hung around a lot of different people to people of color, you know, being in New York yeah. and in the Broadway scene. She was like, I didn't see color or race. You know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Like it was right. all, you know, everybody was everything. So my mom, my friends joked that my mom was blacker than I ever was because I was a goofy and <laughs> I right. didn't get it, you know. 
So I didn't eat collard greens until I was like 20 My in, in college. Because wow. my college roommate, she was black. And we went home to her house and her grandmother made greens. And I'm like, what is this? This is great. What is this? I know. My mom was like, oh, for God's sakes, I used to go to Sylvia's in Harlem with you when I was pregnant. How do you not like greens? <laughs> yeah, anyway, but I like them now. But um, anyway, but my mom, you know, we talk about this a lot because for me being biracial, I have a unique perspective on it. Like I don't always default right. to race. Um, right. But at the same time, there are like I am able to see both sides. I do have similar experiences that to, you know, as a woman of color where I'm just kind of like, did really, did they just say yeah. that? Or, you know, yeah. um, and so it, it's just, the idea of white privilege, I used to cringe when I heard that because I used to think that that was just, yeah. oh, that's just black people using as an excuse and all that. But, you know, uh, in the era of Donald Trump, I have really gained a whole new perspective on this. Yeah. And it's real. And some people don't know it. And they just are, they just don't understand because they haven't had the experience or they haven't talked to people who do. And then other right. people know it and don't care and want to shove it in your face. And right. that's the part that I have no tolerance for. But if you just don't know, you don't know. And then if you're willing you to understand know. and learn, then all right. But don't right. be the kind that, that don't tell me what my experience is every day. Yep. Because you don't live it. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, you have a, 100%. you have a really, um, you have a funny nickname for Donald Trump. I want you to share with people what it is because when I first read it I was like wait what is she then I was like <laughs> I have so many I'm assuming that you're talking about Tang yes uh, like the like the, the non-nutritious orange <laughs> drink um, but I also do they still make that King. do they still make I that I did <laughs> yeah I also call him Orange King Joffrey oh my god um, the orange gelatinous mass <laughs> Um, the Orange Menace. I have so many names for him, but Tang is my favorite because it's it's very economical. There's only four letters. Right. I was going to say, that's the, that's more Twitter, Twitter appropriate. Yeah, man. Get it out there. Get it out there. Tang. Yeah. Uh, I, that is one of the more unique uh, nicknames <laughs> for Trump because, you know, everybody calls him some kind of something because of that ridiculous yeah. hue that he has, that unnatural yeah. hue. Unnatural. Um, and... Uh, there's there's one of the one of the most artificial things you could ever consume is, is tang. <laughs> so, and the color it's is tang. I don't know what that is. Just like we don't know what that is on Donald Trump. So you win right. the award for the most unique Twitter nickname <laughs> for Donald Trump. Hands down, as far as I'm Thank concerned. You. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank uh, you. some people call you the clapback queen. And as you were saying, you know, you never really you're not nasty with it. You just you just let people know in a way that yeah. sometimes they just sometimes people just have to be told. Right. And, yeah. And um, so at what point here during during the era of Trump, like or, or well, no, I, let me back up. Were you always politically active or, you know, politically aware or was there something? Was it, you know, was it Barack Obama? Was it Trump? Or did you always have kind of a, an eye on what's going on out there in the world? Because a lot of people like we're like, we didn't give a shit about politics until Donald Trump came around. And I saw the hell was, you know, all hell was breaking loose and I got to do something like where was it for yeah. you? No, I've always been politically um, active. My mother raised us to vote and she always voted and she was a single mom and she would find a way to vote in every single election, not just presidential. She voted every time there was an mm -hmm. election. I um, voted the very first time I could vote was um, the presidential election for um, Bill Clinton. I voted for Bill Clinton at my college. Hillary Clinton had come to speak and campaign for Bill. And I remember saying, listening to her speak, I said, Dad, I wish I could vote for her. Like, I wish women could. I wish women could be president. Yeah. That's how long ago it was. Yeah. Was that 92? Um, so was that 92? Yeah, it was 92. Okay. 92. So I always had an eye on Hillary for that reason, because I saw her speak when I was young and I knew 
who she was. So anyway, I, I voted ever since I've been allowed to. And um, I didn't, my Twitter feed wasn't as politically um, minded until Trump because it didn't have to be. Yeah. Like, I feel like now I'm, I'm a witness. I know that sounds weird, but I feel like it's my job to see what's happening and, and, dilute it down and, and explain it in a way that people that don't care about politics can can take a little bite. And no one told me to do it. And ain't nobody asked me to do it. But I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. There are times, and I'm sure you probably feel the weight of this as well, and you are a political person. There are times when it weighs on my soul because I'm seeing and hearing and reading so much stuff that I'm like, they're doing what? Yeah. Like, like I feel like now what's happening. That's like every day. With, Every day Every that day. <laughs> not Every even day. we don't even get weekends off. I always joke no, that, no, no, you know, no. in politics, no. you used to have Saturday and Sunday off. You could go no. to a decent brunch. Not Every anymore. Day. Not anymore. There's it's no, ref- no, no, no refuge. And I don't feel like what's breaking my heart is because I'm someone that um, I am a Democrat, but I have nothing against voting for a Republican if I think that they're the best person for the gig. Um, So I that's probably why I'm able to see the truth about who Republicans are. And I'm not I'm not uh, led by who I should be supporting or what. I'm right. not that chick. I, I listen to you. Like, my first thing is, are you a decent person? Mm-hmm. And do you care about everybody, not just people that look like you or have the money you have? That's where it starts. And then after that, we can start talking about policy because you can be a a decent person. Um, if you're a decent person, then the policy choices you're going to make, even if they don't benefit me, they're going to benefit a lot of people. Because right. your goal is to make sure the most people are okay. Yes, you know it's coming from a good place. Not you know you may not exactly. agree with what how you do it, but you're like okay, right. well at least I know that they believe that this is the right thing to do. Exactly, right. they're coming from a place of purity in their decisions. What's happening now? This is not a man or a regime that cares about other people. This is a money grab. Yep. This is a corrupt money grab. And I don't know how many people, um, how many people in the GOP elected are a part of it too. Like the thing I keep telling people is Putin didn't just hack the DNC. He pa- he hacked the RNC too. He just didn't release the mm-hmm. stuff that they found out about the RNC. That's but true. Guess what? The RNC knows who they emailed and what they did. That's right. So a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing people do, I'm like, do they got some on you? I know. Like, do they know that you? It's because it doesn't make sense. We we are a nation that is always known right from wrong. And the ones that were crazy, the the racist folk, those kind of people, the anti Semitic people, those people, they were the outliers. Right. They were right? the fringe. And, and we beat it back. We beat it back. And and you weren't proud to to carry a tiki torch and a, and wear a white hood. But we beat it back. And we're now in a place where their numbers are increasing. I know. And they're proudly saying Jews can't replace us and black people, are the N-word. I'm like, when did this happen? I know. When, it, you know, Donald Trump gave them a license to come back out oh from under the God. rocks, you know, under the rocks that they were, right. that they'd been retreated to because they were beaten back and it was not okay. It was not acceptable yeah. in the mainstream anymore. And right. um, Donald Trump has allowed them and to be emboldened and to, to creep into the mainstream. Like, I, I live in Northern Virginia now and I could mm-hmm. not believe what the hell was going on in Richmond? And that was for yep. Democrats, you know? So yep. this 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 problem is a bipartisan problem. Um, it is. It just that Republicans are in the spotlight right now because Donald Trump is the, is the titular head of this and nonsense. he's not even a Republican. No, he's not. He's not That's even correct. a freaking Republican. That's right. He's not. He's not at all in any oh. sense of the word. He's not even a Democrat. He's his own Trumplican. He's his own he's thing. He's his own thing. Yes, and, it's, um, thing. and it's a cancer. It's a cancer yep. on our political system, on our society. And 
And if we don't do something to kill this cancer, not literally, but the, the, what he's created, this idea that yeah. there's no truth, there's no facts that's, you know, the right. press is the enemy of the people and just oh the, the division and the, the, the bigotry and all of that, just the indecency of everything he does. If we don't beat this back, we're in trouble as a country. That's my, but it's that's bigger than him. What- but that's why the principal people on both sides of the aisle need to stop fighting each other. Yes. We, my, my, my issue is not conservative. You're not, you're not my enemy. Right. You know what I'm saying? He's our, our enemy across the board. Yes. What he stands for, what he does, breaking the emoluments clause. There's so much, I mean, every day it's yes. like he did what? I know. We all need to marshal our forces and fight that evil. And I feel like what's happening, what he's good at, is he pits us against each other and he goes on back to Mar-a-Lago and, and goes to, to get on the link. Right, laughing his like ass off. Yep. Laughing his ass off yep. while we're fighting. Cash and checks, it's by the way, as president still. Oh, my God. Come With on. The, thus the emoluments clause stuff. No, you're right. Oh. You're, you're, you're 100% right. And that's, that's part of what motivates me to keep doing what I do every day because, yeah. you know, it, it's... um. Uh, you know, Ida B. Wells is someone who I, I respect. And she yeah. said to right the wrongs, you need to turn the light of truth upon that's them. Right. And that's, right. that's how I feel. And I just think that I want to encourage more and more people to not just stand back and accept things the way they are, that they need to right. speak up and not be afraid to and do something because ultimately right. it's on us. We are still a constitutional Republic and that's these right. people work for us. So if you don't that's like what's right. happening, then you have to do something about it. And Right. I, it, I was encouraged to see how many people have gone out and voting, had voted and, and mobilized people who were never involved in politics before mm-hmm. running for office because they said enough is enough. I don't want my kids growing up thinking that this is OK. So I'm encouraged right. by that. That's one of the, the upsides of this nightmare that we're living in is that people are yeah. now kind of shaken out of their malaise and realize, oh, God, this is what happens when, you know, you don't get involved or you don't pay attention. Yep. So, 100%. well, as we were wrapping it up, because I, I could talk to you all day, but I, um, I, I know that you're, you're busy and I, I want you to, you know, I don't want to take you away from your dad. And plus you can go oh. and sit out in the sun in the warmth in California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, the, uh, we're going to end on, on, on a higher note. So I know that you are a super fan of a couple of mm-hmm. things. You were yeah. a super fan of The Walking Dead, which I have to admit, yeah. I've never watched one episode of because uh, zombies scare me. But I know that you're yeah, a super fan not, of that. It's not the zombies, though. I know. I, I know. Okay. It's the end of, end of the days thing, you know, apocalypse, how people survive and all that. I know. I'm just telling you yeah. why I wasn't able to get I into The Walking Dead, but I have a lot of friends who are totally into it. But you are yeah. also a Janet Jackson super fan. Woo! Oh, my God. And you hosted, you guest hosted The Real recently, and you were talking about this. So are you going to get to meet Janet Jackson or what? I am going to get to meet Janet Jackson. they, They have promised that they're going to give me a ticket and they're going to send me to the show. And listen, I'm at the point now where even if they had not, said that they would do that, which I was shocked and just you saw my that was my real reaction. I really yeah. did cry Anthony was No, um, it was really cute. It was really cute. Got my, yeah, I would have gotten my own ticket and gone. Like I I have loved her since I was a kid. She's been a part of my entire oh, life. She's every, great. Yeah. Every, come on. Who doesn't love Janet? Yeah, every I mean it's and the thing is what I tried to express on the real, but I was so verklempt. I don't know if it came out right. She <laughs> literally word. was the was the one that looked like us. Like mm-hmm. there was no little little brown girls on TV. It was her and Kim Fields. Right. Tootie. That was it. 
Tootie, who's yep. now my friend, which I can't believe I'm friends with Kim. But um, it's like th- that was the, the gold standard for what we could be, what we could do. And in every era of her life, she kept adapting and morphing and changing. And, and she's, what, 40 years into a career, 50 years into it. She, she's 52. She's about 45 years into a career. Yes. That's amazing. Yep. And I, it's time. It is time for me to meet my <laughs> idol. I want to meet her. I want to well, meet her. I, I hope you get to meet her. I love Janet Jackson yes. also. We all grew up with Janet. She's fierce. Yes. She's an amazing dancer. Yeah, She's still killing it over 50. She had a baby, for goodness sakes, at 50. Good for yep. her. Um, I, I'm hoping I get to see her again. I've seen her in concert a couple times. Uh, yes. I missed the last tour. I'm hoping it comes to the D.C. area again before she stops touring. But, um, you should come to Vegas. Come to the, come to the, come to the, the, the residency. Well, I, let, me, let, let me know. If I can make it out there, I will come. Because I love Vegas. And I've already seen yes. Britney. I love Britney Spears. I've seen yes. Britney out there. I've seen the Backstreet Boys, who I love all. Also, um, yeah. there I saw who else have I seen in a residency there? Pitbull. I saw my mom last year. We were in Vegas. My, we <laughs> had a blast. Um, cool. Oh, my mom is cool as hell. And it, people hear me talk about my mom a lot because my mom is my best friend <laughs> in the whole world. Um, and my, it. you know, my, it's my, I'm an only child. So it was me and my mom, you know, my whole life. Aww. And and so, yeah, we're, we're thick as thieves. And, and my husband Love loves my mom, too, because my mom's the coolest. So, yeah, my, my mom it. and I, we do a Love lot it. together. Um, but I'm also I'm a new edition super fan. And when I saw that you played Shirley Bivens in the New Edition story, I was like, oh, my goodness, look at Yvette. And when they came out, the New Edition story, I felt like I was eight years old all over again. (laughs) And because I've loved New Edition since I was eight years old. Like I used to write. Remember, like the the um, the magazines, the fan club magazines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And they used to have. Yes. I used to write to the fan clubs. I can remember being in Girl Scout camp and like making bracelets and sending them to Ronnie because Ronnie was my favorite because he was light skinned and I was light skinned. So I liked Ronnie. (laughs) even though you know he didn't really sing a note but he could dance you know I I love me some Ronnie so it's I've been to I don't even know how many new edition concerts how many BBD shows how many you know the reunion tours Uh, I am a I'm a new edition super fan still yeah no there's no there's no bigger new 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 edition fan than me and so to get to uh you know first of all to be managed by Michael as a teenager right work at I work at Bib 10 in my 20s and then to play his mother in a film, you know, in my my later years. Um, is all <laughs> That's all right. You're like, still getting those checks. <laughs> I am. But it's all like, are you kidding me? Like, it's just, it's such a full circle moment. And all of the guys are just, they're everything our preteen selves dreamed of. Like, they're just those guys. They they're really the look, they really seem like that. And I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled no, to, to, cool. to hear that they really are. And watching yeah, Ron, no, Ron, Ron DeVoe and his wife on Real Housewives, I am a Real mm-hmm. Housewives of Atlanta fan I do watch it yeah. and I watch Real Housewives of Jersey of course because I'm a Jersey girl yeah, and I always represent but um so it's kind of you kind of see that he's still really that that cool down the earth brother yeah. that you imagined and it's and I'm glad to see that that's really truly how they are they are icons and they're just so humble yeah. about it like these guys and, are icons and, and I, know this I want to tell you this about your favorite Ronnie he is a God-fearing man and he's woke and politically aware well, that's great you may not know that about him because he's going to talk about a lot of his, his politics and whatever, yeah. but he is aware of what's happening in the world. He has opinions about what's happening in the world. He listens to talk radio and he's, he's that guy. 
good. Well, see, yeah, I picked the I picked the good one out of out of them. Lisa was, you know, I have to worry about him in rehab and you know with Bobby Brown and all that craziness. You know, I listen, but again, everybody got a journey. That's true. Hear about it and and adjust, and some people got to that's true. The change, you know, absolutely. You know, everybody walking their path the best way they can. Well, they're they're coming. They were just here as the you know Belle Devoe plus Bobby Brown. They're on that tour. Yeah, yeah, but no, but no, no Ralph and. They yeah. were here in September and my girlfriends and I went and had a blast and they're coming back to, to the DC area to play at Wolf Trap, which is our outdoor venue in the summer that my husband love and I it. love because we picnic and we're professional picnickers and we go oh, and it's a, and it's great. So they're coming in June. So, you know, I will be there in the building again, screaming That's like a, a teenage girl just because, and my husband is so cool <laughs> that he doesn't care because he, he knows it's all good. And um, right. he'll, he'll be right there with me jamming a little bit, you know, dancing the new edition because everybody loves new edition. Everybody. <laughs> He loves new everybody. Yeah. Well, so Yvette, um, as I let you go, what are you what are you working on now? What's 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 um on on the docket for Yvette Nicole Brown now? Well, you know, I'm still um I still guest star on Moms. I'm still doing that on CBS, and you know, I'm just waiting to see what God has in store. It's so funny. This is the first time in nine years that I haven't had a series on network television, and I I panicked at first because you know I, I I've worked since I was 15 and a half. I like to work, but then I realized like sometimes it's nice to take a little break. Yeah. So I don't have anything like there's nothing to to pub and promote aside from you know I'm going to try to keep being a decent person and and trying to help people figure out how to be decent to each other. That's my goal. Well, I, I think that you don't have to work very hard at doing that. Um, yeah. and I, I really appreciate you. Congratulations on all your success so far. I know you, there's going to be another great project for you coming down the pike, whatever it is that you choose to do. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, you are at Y N B, right? Yes. Yes. And on Instagram, it's my full name, Yvette Nicole Brown. Yvette, it's been such a pleasure. I adore you. Next time I come to California, we've got to get together. Oh, 100%. You just let me know. We're going to do brunch or lunch or go to a movie, something. Something. We're doing, we're, we're yeah. doing something when we're out there next, next time. Yes. Yes, <laughs> and yes. and yes. You, the, the door is always, always open for you if you're ever out here on the East Coast uh, in, in D.C. Please, we have to make sure we get together. I will do that, honey. Great talking to you. Thank you so much. Yvette Nicole okay. Brown, everyone, on Honestly Speaking, what a gem. That's it for this week's edition of Honestly Speaking. Big thank you again to Yvette Nicole Brown. She's so much fun and uh, she's got more projects coming up. So I hope you guys check her out and be sure to follow me on social media at Tara Setmayer on Twitter or at honestly underscore Tara at the Tara Setmayer on Instagram and at Tara Setmayer on Facebook. So be sure to follow me and I'll be back next week.